Hi, and welcome to Fresh Ears. I'm Neil Cowling, the founder of Fresh Air, the UK's leading producer of podcasts for brands and businesses. One of the misconceptions many people have about branded podcasts is that it's all dry discussions with men in suits talking to each other. To be fair, there are some of those, not made by us. In fact, we make an enormous range of types of shows, from discussions to panels to illustrated shows and full-on documentaries. And the most exciting thing is when a client really grasps the opportunity to make a podcast that can change the listener's perceptions of their brand. And one of our favourites here is Unearthed, the series we make for Kew Gardens, or to give them their official title, the Royal Botanic Gardens Q. Our future and the future of the planet is dependent on changing the current food system. We can't go on the way we're producing food and consuming food. It's coming at too high a cost to the planet and to us and our future. Our diets are unsustainable for the environment and unhealthy for our physical well-being and then as well as our mental well-being. We could be losing secrets that farmers have spent thousands of years developing without realising it. So why would Kew Gardens, surely a brand that's led by visual experiences, commission a podcast? The first series of Unearthed was created in the depths of lockdown and then last year we were able to get out and about again for series two. And we've been privileged to produce both of them, with results including some lovely PR and some equally lovely award nominations. Series one explored how Q scientists have helped solve crimes, from curry-based murders to international trafficking. Series two was subtitled Journeys into the Future of Food, looking at how we'll feed ourselves in a world of climate change and reduced biodiversity, hosted by Poppy Okocha, Advali Richmond and James Wong. So let's talk all this through with our guests. Emma Chandler is the Senior Content and Engagement Manager at Q. Hello. Hello. Grace Brewer is the Digital Content Manager at Q. Hello. Hello. And we're also joined by Fiona Fraser, the podcast publicist, founder of Power PR and one of the UK's leading experts in podcast publicity. Hi, Fiona. Hello. So, Emma, let's kick this off by going back to basics. Why would Q have a podcast? Why do you think that's a good addition to your digital content? Yeah, so going back to series one, it all started from what we call internally our perception shift project. So that is basically trying to change people's perceptions of Q from being a beautiful um, garden in southwest London, um, but understanding that there's so much more to Q. So not only do we have Q Gardens, we also have Wakehurst in Sussex, um, which is our wild botanic garden, home to the Millennium Seed Bank, um, where we store, I think there's over 2.4 billion seeds of rare and threatened plant species and many more. Um, but we also have a huge um, scientific um, side to Q as well. So we have over 300 scientists. We work in over 100 countries and many more partners across the globe. So what we wanted um, was to be able to create something um, that our audiences could really engage with on a deeper level, really understand more about Q in a way that is entertaining, interesting, learning something completely new um, that all kind of brings it back to the amazing world of plants and fungi and what Q is doing um, to help protect and and save them. So is is Q the sort of place that people perhaps have a kind of transactional relationship? You you go if you want a nice day out or you go for an event, but you don't sort of think of it in in other parts of, of, of your life? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, historically, I think because Q has 
that kind of royal people think about it in a more of a royal element is the royal botanic gardens we have this big wall around the garden so it's very much when you visit Kew you come in through these big beautiful gates so you're kind of like you're going from your outside life into Kew so yeah absolutely we wanted to people to understand that we're more than that we go beyond the walls sometimes we call it beyond the gardens and yeah showing the beautiful kind of power of plants and fungi in everyday everyday life. So Grace can you just talk through what the objectives of the podcast were what did you want to achieve with it yeah so kind of in our team in the digital content engagement team we work in kind of films and blogs and social media but podcast until kind of 2020 when we did the the first series was something that we hadn't explored before a completely different uh, audio only medium um that would reach different audiences and really our, our main objectives were as emma was saying shifting that perception away from just being beautiful gardens communicating more about our international work as well as our work on both of our sites in terms of science uh, conservation um but also reaching um underserved audiences people that might face the physical barriers to cubing the kind of ticketing and the the big walls that surround the gardens but also people that aren't close by that might be living in other countries um and younger audiences as well because i think um typically Q is viewed of as um maybe more of a kind of a horticulture site um but there is so much more there and we have a beautiful um community program that is all about kind of reaching those people that um, might otherwise face barriers coming to Q. and so we wanted the podcast to be something that could um speak to those audiences as well and and change what people kind of might traditionally think of as as uh, what we do yeah because we often we talk about q as a case study a lot when we talk about our work because you can easily see how q would make a lovely podcast about flowers and plants um but you didn't go for that easy option why 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 didn't you just make a a nice show that was perhaps easier to do than what we ended up doing I don't think it is necessarily the easy option because with a podcast, you really need to tell really deep, interesting stories that people want to spend, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes listening to. Our science research is where those stories are. So actually, I think that we would have been not not necessarily struggling if we were doing it, you know, just based on the gardens and the horticulture. But if we really wanted to tell those in-depth stories, I think that that's the, the side of Q where they where they come from. Yeah, I think that's the challenge we often face when we're creating kind of uh, short reels for social media, for example, or short posts. Um, you can't, you can kind of give a snapshot of the kind of work that we do, but there is so much there. And I think podcasts give the opportunity to provide that depth into the stories. Um, and scientists often working kind of behind the scenes, you, you don't often see them in the gardens, people wouldn't often come across them. So it's an opportunity for us to, to tell, uh, to talk more to kind of what we're doing um, and the global aspect of it in, in a deep level of detail that we can't otherwise do in other forms of content. Yeah. And it means we're able to bring in so many more voices and so many more people to contribute to it in a that kind of longer form content as well. Unusually, I think for our clients, you did a lot of the creative development in-house because often we're brought in at the point that you you want to begin thinking about what a podcast is going to sound like. But you did a lot of that in-house. So did you involve a, a big team in coming up with ideas of what a, a Q podcast would sound like? Well, I think... For series two, we cheated a little bit, maybe, because we had um, a summer programme um, which, which was completely dedicated to the future of food. Some of the issues with our kind of supply chains, um, biodiversity loss, agriculture, and how that all impacts on um, how we're eating food and the foods that we're going to eat in the future. So 
with that, the development was done in-house um, through a number of different teams at Kew. Um, lots of research went into it. Um, and then physically in the gardens, that came across as four big installations um, and then some more installations down at Wakehurst as well and a series of talks. So there was a lot of research, a lot of information, a lot of stakeholders that were involved in that, um, lots of contributors to that. So we were able to take a lot of that information and we saw that this will perfectly align with a podcast and, and kind of went from there. Yeah, I wouldn't call that cheating. That's, that's <laughs> aligning with, that's brilliantly aligning with a season of content, isn't it? It's sort of fitting into that jigsaw. Yeah. I think that's, that's something that, again, we, we try and encourage clients to do a lot is what other messaging are you putting out and thinking about this, not just as a, something extra, a kind of side project, but if you think of it as a core part of that overall program that you're doing, then all those things can fit together. As you say, you sort of bypass some of that initial thinking that you would otherwise have to do. Fiona, let's bring you in. So, um, Fiona, we, we brought you in to, to think about the publicity of this. Can you actually, let's start by explaining because what you do is, is quite niche. It's quite new in the podcast industry. Can you just explain what you and Power PR, your company, do, please? Sure. So, I mean, on this project, I was brought in, obviously, um, with the finished product to then look for kind of news lines and how to get PR opportunities for the presenters, the experts, um, and just overall, you know, to fit in with like Q's communication activities as well. Um, but one thing that, you know, if I could go back is like, what I love to do is actually come in at the beginning as well and help to shape shape the content and you know, I give advice on how I think things will land for PR as well. So that's part of what I do um, as part of my agency because really it's the, you know, PR starts at the ideation stage for me, especially for branded and, and business podcasts. So, and I think just to say the way I see it is I call, describe it as like your podcast is like the beating heart of your marketing, really. Everything comes off of that in, in my mind. So, again, like like you were just saying, anything, you know, it has to fit in with what the business is doing. Um, it might not be immediately obvious, but there's like definitely a kind of secret mission that you've got in mind that you want to get people to, whatever that is. So, for, for you, it's accessibility, I guess, for this, um, you know raising the profile of the, the science element and work that goes on. So these are all things that might not seem really obvious if you're listening, but it's happening as you're doing it. Okay, so noted. So Fiona needs to be involved right at the start yeah. of Series 3. <laughs> Take that Let's just work, make that a note now. I'd uh, just like to be, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... <laughs> we'll remember that. But you work on you know, some of the biggest podcasts in the UK. Yes, yes. And you also work on this kind of thing, which is... A little more niche and it's branded it's an even new it's a newer newer area even so i guess i've been doing this for two and a half years now with, with podcasts so i was in tv for 13 years transitioned to podcast stadium that's all i do now and the branded element i sort of didn't actually take on straight away because i've had to take some time to work out how it, you know how it would work um and it basically has to just be a good podcast so which this was um and that, so, so certain elements of that is like you've got the right production, you've got the right idea, you've got all the elements with the kind of what you're covering on it, you've got the right presenters. So all of a sudden my strategy just becomes really clear in terms of things that I can pitch out to press and uh, sort of editorially interesting like as a standalone thing, which is the challenge with branded podcasts because, you know, 
they are much harder to get press for than editorial independent ones. Why is that? Because they're kind of naturally suspicious. They're, of... pay, they're inverted commas paid for. Um, yeah. So press are just like, oh, what's what's that? Like, I don't really care. But with Q, the the brand is not seen as a it's not a money making a business I guess really they're not or not for profit so you know I have worked on podcasts that were for some pure money making only only once uh just and you know I told them I don't feel I'm gonna get anything for this um and I didn't <laughs> you manage expectations I, yeah, I told them did. all the steps and I was waiting for the call but I said the email they're like oh thanks so much you know because the, the approach was the approach they understood that my system was you know I did exactly if you queue you know, for them, what I did for Q. And I was just really realistic about how that would work. And they didn't have the spokespeople, actually, was the the key thing there, which was why that um, fell down in, in my mind. And they knew that going into it. So, I, you know, it's very much... that There are all these different elements that I pulled together to try and make um, an impact across the series, not just at the start. So even the timing of when I want things to happen is very... Uh, I kind of try and create that as much as I can. Okay, second second note. So first note is bring Fiona in early. Second note I've taken is make it a good podcast. Yes, okay. please. Fine, or okay. else I'll probably say no as well. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. We're learning so much here. So just just quick just quick summary then. So how do you go about? It, it is a bit of a dark art promoting a podcast because there's a lot out there now, yeah. and you know there are review columns and there's some cynicism about mm, there's another podcast on the market. So yeah, how for sure. can you break that down a little bit for those who want to to generate PR behind a podcast? How do you go about doing it? Any tips that you would give? Make a good podcast. <laughs> oh, God. Right, I'm going <laughs> to put it in bold now. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, I think it's, it's seen as dark art because A, PR is seen as dark art, um, and which which is not really, um, and, and B, because podcasts are new. But for me... I've transitioned from factual television, you know, watching drama, factual at BBC drama, BBC, you know, so it, it's a show. I see it as a show. And I think the people coming to podcasting from, you know, across all sorts of different ways. Um, I think the people that come in from TV are slightly more, have more of an advantage, if I'm honest, um, because they just know about the development process and they know how long it takes to get the story right so that when they start it, you know, it's 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 the best it can be. So for me, this is like a, a documentary type thing. It's completely different. So, which is obviously you've got a TV, TV background in your team. So yeah, well, I think <laughs> we're always you're always looking for press coverage. Obviously, yeah, you're always looking for PR. Um, one of the elements for that often is talent. And on this series, we had three different presenters across the series. Um, why was that? Why did you not just have one single presenter across all episodes? Well, I think we had some thoughts from the first series. So we had James Wong, who was our presenter for the every episode in series one, who did a fantastic job. Um, he's also one of our um, ambassadors at Q. Um, and then we actually featured um, Adverly Richmond um, in the final episode of the bonus episode of the first series. And we just thought she did an absolutely fantastic job and definitely wanted to work with her again. Um, and we also wanted to continue to work with James. Um, and then we felt that the way that the episodes were developing, there were kind of a few you know different narratives throughout there and we felt like there could be 
different hosts to contribute different things to those episodes. So we had James was a tick, Avery was a tick, and then um, Poppy um, was a great kind of compliment to the other two hosts um, to take on the other two episodes. They were really bought in as well, weren't they? That, mm. Is that to do with Q as a brand, that they just love Q, or is that something to do with the subject matter or the format or how you work with them? Why do you think they were so on board? I think they all brought their own area of expertise to the podcast because we were trying to cover such a massive thing being kind of journeys into the future of food and what that means. And that goes spans from yeah, how you can uh, grow in your own allotment, what you can do in your own kitchens, through to kind of what are our sciences, scientists doing? Uh, and then looking back in history as well, which is what Adverley is a specialist in. Um, so I think they all covered that with James being kind of from a botan- uh, bo- like a botany background, Poppy Freak being from a gardening background and Adverley being like a, a historian. So I think they each brought their own area of expertise to each of the episodes and we really tailored them towards kind of that. And it really meant that we could have uh, really interesting discussions with um, our experts and the people that we brought into the podcast. Um, And I think that meant that we could kind of go more in depth into kind of the uh, stories that we were telling Um, and they'd be able to kind of people that traditionally you know scientists aren't used to being popped kind of in front of a microphone to talking about their work but it it is so interesting Um, and I think by having those presenters uh, it gave us a great opportunity to be able to do that and then also another side of it being us uh, and extending our, our reach and our audiences and they have their own massive platforms um, and looking into how we can really harness uh, their audiences and get them engaged in queue. Um, so I think that was a massive benefit to us as well. Fiona, how important is talent in PR? Oh, it, is it's it, integral. I, I think we think it's really important, but is it less important than people would imagine? It's really important, but I think when you say talent to someone who works in TV, that means like that they're really high profile, um, but they don't have to be high profile. So I think that if they're interesting, passionate, and actually have credentials in terms of like they have things to, that they can legitimately go and talk about as an expert, then that's the like that's the magic trio really. So they don't have to be famous. So you know, a lot of the podcasts I work on sometimes it's not the most famous person on the podcast that gets the the PR actually. So um, it's just when someone's just got a really good story to tell that they can talk about. And that's part of what I do is kind of work out what that one story is because, you know, in, I don't I can't remember how many episodes there were, like eight, so I don't know how many minutes that is, but it's a lot of minutes. It's like, what are the, it's almost like what are the top three things that we want to get across from this? And that's where I start, you know, if there are then things in episodes um, that we can start to then map out, but it's always like the, mag, you know, the magic three um, in, in PR is you know if you're a politician you go oh, you've got three things to say it's the same sort of thing so um, but yeah talent is definitely definitely key I can't I mean the, I, I can't get press without anyone speaking so yeah yeah I think I've had that before actually where people are like oh well, they will not just cover it because um, you know cause it's happening so, no <laughs> there's a very small pool of people that might cover it if it's good because it's happening but Otherwise, we need someone to go around and talk about it. So definitely worth thinking about who that is at the start. And Grace, you mentioned what you might term internal talent, essentially your own experts. Um, How important was it for you to be able to showcase their expertise Mm. as part of this? Hugely important because I think it is such a massive part of uh, Q and something that people don't necessarily know about, as I was saying. So um, our scientists 
cover such a wealth of um, kind of different areas of research from kind of um, seed collecting abroad and storing in our millennium seed bank, which is kind of we call the Noah's Ark of our plants and future-proofing our, our plants for the future. Um, but also in the labs, they're sequencing the DNA and they're building the tree of life. Um, and it's there's so many interesting stories there that I think they don't necessarily shout about in to a general kind of public audiences. But there's papers about it, but our job is more about kind of pulling out those stories and finding out um, what might be really interesting for, for kind of general listeners. Um, and I think shining a light on that is so, it's so important to us because that's where the most interesting stories are um, hidden kind of in the labs um, at Q. The other element that I, I, it may sound really simple, but I think is great about the podcast is the artwork. Um, and I know how that was kind of a maybe an agonising program uh, process to go through to to get that artwork, but it's it's really brilliant. How long did that take, and and how many people did that involve? Yeah, so the artwork was created in house. So we have a creative team um, of designers, fantastic designers at Q. Um, so the artwork for the second series was um, a continuation of series one. It the unearthed name fitted really well with the journeys into the future of food if you think you know think about digging growing and all that all of that kind of thing so we we decided to stick with on earth and just do a bit of a tweak with it to make it more focused on food so adding a few different elements of different vegetables um using that kind of soil design you can see like on earth is coming up from the soil which um was in series one as well um so yeah we, we just kind of briefed in it into our creative team. Um, they absolutely loved doing the artwork. They really enjoyed the project. Um, and it didn't really take that long to do this, the second, because the, the basis was already there, wasn't it? So um, just a couple of rounds and I think we were there, weren't yeah. we? Yeah. It's really striking. Yeah. It's really brilliant. And that touches on something that I know is interesting to the audience who may be thinking about doing this, which is internal buy-in and also autonomy from your point of view, because the worst kind of podcast is one that's created by committee and where there's sort of, you know, layers and layers of sign off for things. You had quite a lot of autonomy with this, didn't you? You were sort of left to it to a degree. <laughs> yeah, I think that was because the first series was such a big success. And so the organisation was really confident in the product um, in both um you as an agency and also us as a um, digital team at Q. So um, when we wanted to do the second series and we, you know, we obviously we had the stories to tell. We had all of the research from um, the Food Forever programme and the Nourish programme. We started off with a broad team of people to kind of start to brainstorm a bit. Oh, how will this work as a podcast? What are the stories? Who are the key, um, the key contributors? And then we really narrowed down. Once we got started, we really narrowed down to just a small group of us. Mm. Um, I think in the end, it was only really three of us at mm. Q, wasn't it, that kind of led on it um, and we were given the responsibility of kind of well obviously working with um, with Catherine um, our producer um, so yeah make the decisions and, and do the sign off that way. Let's talk about Catherine for a moment she's not here to defend herself she had a baby literally <laughs> a week ago otherwise she would be um, on on this podcast. Catherine's a, a brilliant producer with a, a really very kind of radio four -y type approach and, and and really mature approach to creating this, this is essentially a sort of mini mini documentary really mm -hmm. um and it i do believe it sort of lives up to to broadcast standards but can you just ex explain that relationship between you guys and and us and and and, and fresh air and Catherine in particular who kind of led the project how collaborative was that and how did that evolve as it went through mm. 
It was really collaborative. I mean, I really admire Catherine's ability to kind of be thrown into the deep end with all of these stories and people to speak to. Mm-hmm. And she manages to kind of compile it all into this really yeah. succinct and engaging uh, series. And so I think from the get go, we're all in kind of, we have regular working groups. We regularly meet with one another um, to kind of discuss the concept. Um, she's so thorough with the way that uh, she plans out the series as well. So you feel like you're informed every step of the way um, from kind of the initial kind of um, storylines and and headings of uh, the episodes themselves through to kind of we get the transcripts and then we get the kind of two audio edits. So I feel like we're so involved in, in how things go and the steering of all of that. Um, but I think, yeah, she has a wonderful ability of being able to to kind of go out into the gardens or, you know, into into wherever our experts or our partners are and just kind of organically speak to them. But it feels really informative. And I think that's something that we did differently this series because obviously last series we were, uh, it was the pandemic, so we couldn't be out in the gardens, whereas this time we could record kind of on site. And so there was a lot of travelling around as well for Catherine and she kind of took it in her stride and it was, it made for a really, really interesting series. It, it really shows the benefit to me of having a producer who loves the topic mm. as well because she just lives, really happy to live and breathe it and, and work with you guys really mm. closely. So I think she'd prefer it if, he, if Q wasn't right underneath the Heathrow flypath. Yes. Yeah. That would be great. <laughs> um, there's probably not very much you can do about that. Unfortunately no. not. No. That's why you don't see many live videos from Q. <laughs> no, okay. Um, so let's talk about the success of it. Because I, I, you know, I, I, hopefully we can we can say that it's successful. But how do you measure that? How do you objectively measure that? And also prove to budget holders and mm-hmm. people that you have to uh, to justify it to. How do you measure its success? So we set some goals up front. So we worked with Rich and your team and colleagues at Q to decide what is going to be successful for us. So we looked at previous series to see how that did across number of downloads, listen through rate. Um, we looked at social reach. We looked at social sentiment as well to see when people are talking about it online, whether they're talking about it in a positive or a negative way. We also looked at kind of engagement um, from our hosts and contributors online. Lots of different measures that we matched against our kind of main goals, which were obviously around changing perceptions and how we could measure that. So we looked at things like the YouGov Buzz score to see whether we were having any impact on the perceptions of Q as a brand, lots of things. We measured a lot. We had a very nice spreadsheet um, that Rich set up for us. Yeah, <laughs> He's good with his spreadsheets. Yeah. He likes his data. Um, so, I mean, top line numbers, if people are interested, it's it, across the two series now had 215,000 downloads, which is epic from a, for a branded podcast. It's a, a brilliant number. Probably the one that we care the most about is listen through rate at 84%, which means that you know, not only we're we driving people to the podcast, but they're sticking with it and they're enjoying it. And I think more than anything else, that depth of engagement, you know, we talked about it right at the start. The depth of engagement is obviously the USP of podcasts. But, you know, it's 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 not enough to just make a podcast and throw it out there. You have to you have people to, to stick with it. And the social impact was important. I know you've you've just talked through that a bit, Emma. How did you make a noise about it? And we'll come to the PR back again in a moment, but how did you promote it using your own channels, your own networks? Mm -hmm. So we created, um, again, with our creative services team at Q, a series of audiograms um, using some of the clips from the episodes and some lovely kind of illustration to go alongside those. So we shared that across our social channels as well as 
picking out some of the key topics of each of the episodes and asking some of those questions back to our audience. And that's where we found the best engagement online is that if we're talking about how people should be growing at home, we would maybe ask some, you know, quite simple questions around, you know, do you do you grow at home? What would encourage you to do that? Um, and that kind of thing. So it was a really nice way to get the audience involved in the topics. And then we also created some kind of packages of content that we sent out to all of the people that featured on each of the episodes, as well as the hosts, with some kind of an idea of what they might want to post on their own social media channels if they didn't feel so comfortable doing that, um, giving them the creative assets and that kind of thing, all of the right links so that we were able to track it. Um, so, yeah, it was really nice just to be able to engage with them to say if you want to shout about it. Many of them did want to shout about it. So, yeah, we created that. Yeah, and we must also shout out to our kind of digital marketing team who send out all the emails to our newsletter subscribers as well. And we saw that had a big impact as well because that's targeting an already engaged audience. And so we kind of had a big plan around that and the click-through rate and we saw success with that as well. So it was a real team effort kind of across Q and all of our comms, uh, different comms teams to really push the podcast, which I think already had that engaged audience from the first series. So it was really just building on that and maybe just moving a bit further outside of London and to a slightly younger audience. Yeah, how do you, outside the podcast, how do you normally try and target? Because I know you're you're trying to go a bit younger and you're obviously trying to target people outside of London who, who you know, can go whenever they like. Mm. Um, so outside the podcast, how do you normally try and raise the profile with that different audience? I think generally people are becoming more kind of climate conscious and um, more advocates for nature. And I think it's really at Q, the key challenge that we have is being informative and engaging without feeling like we're preaching or being too patronising mm-hmm. and giving people like key actions that you can easily do at home in your everyday lives uh, that can make a difference to kind of the planet and the future of our planet and I think that is kind of something that we really focus on in the content that we produce and kind of key because people don't have much time on their hands and that's why podcasts can be such a great uh, medium because you can listen to it when you're on the move and so I think making sure that we uh we explain the problem, which is kind of how we, we set out the episodes of the series. We explain what the problem is, what we're doing at Q about it, but also leaving it on a more hopeful note that you can kind of take actions yourself. And I think that's a key thing that we, we do at Q. Fiona, it got good coverage. You did a very nice job. Thank, Thank you. you very much. <laughs> so what were your favourite bits of coverage that you got either online or in, in press? I think we what was really nice about the really key bits is there was a spread as well. So we had um, we did get reviewed in the Guardian Here Here newsletter, which is the sort of cream of the crop best you could want to start the show with. Um, you only get one go at that because they'll only cover launch. So when we made it in, which was was epic, and that really helped with the numbers. We saw you know a massive spike uh, around that, and then we had Radio Four. So Catherine was on Radio Four talking about mushrooms which is also really good that was like a few weeks later and then it's one of those where actually we had some really big payoffs at the end so this is where podcasts are not like tv that you push everything up front because we got like a half page in delicious magazine talking about the podcast as and also a front page of kitchen so we got a front page of kitchen gardens with um poppy uh which was which was brilliant because she basically did a such great interview they put her on the cover so mm. then we had that like you know a month on the last episode and a month after so i actually haven't heard what the figures are if that you know if that had an impact but for me it's like just amazing when you get a spread like that yeah and so break that down for us a little bit because you're going you're going mainstream with yeah. the guardian yeah 
um, and you're going kind of not well, the main, trade, Guardian's but... not really mainstream because this, um, so the newsletter is like, if you are into podcasts or the industry, then, you know, this is this newsletter is, is what you do to where you sign up yeah. to get um, recommendations um, because there aren't that many places really to go and get recommendations for podcasts. So, you know, a lot of the times, obviously you do them as well. And I've, but it's actually this 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 one newsletter is like the game changer for getting listens that launch week, which obviously with the charts is what everyone wants. So that is my like that's if I can kick off with that, we're already off to a really good start. And then the Radio Four obviously is you know an audience that's perfect for Q. And then the subject was actually about you know something that people will be interested in like the science stuff. Then they would come into that as well. So that's like ideal as well because it's people that are kind of like maybe they wouldn't want to go to Q as a day out but they're interested in the science because the other thing is I think that hasn't been mentioned clearly so far to me is like the education piece within mm. the episodes as well so they're standalone because the, the science is interesting so that's that's just a new audience that doesn't need to care about going to Q Gardens they're probably not going to want to go for, for a walk and see all the nice stuff but they want to know about you know the, the stuff that's happening behind the scenes so Radio 4 was definitely great for that and then obviously Delicious Magazine was like it was a food focus so anyone kind of interested in food um, would have um, crossed, you know hopefully might have crossed over to give it a listen because of the, the strong themes around kind of the future of you know what's on your plate kind of thing mm. um, and then the the one that I just can't remember to keep saying is kitchen uh, garden. Kitchen garden. God, please edit me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> kitchen garden, who were also just so lovely. Actually, it was like that was perfect for Poppy because this is mm. that's a, totally her thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, by splitting up kind of the presenters' themes, uh, the episode, there's just like and being really targeted on who you're talking to about what. Those are prime examples of how that sort of pays off. Um, over the, the, sp- the spread of the series. Yeah, and you can see that in the numbers as well because it's got a long tail in terms of its its listeners. I think, you know, obviously there are peaks and for those yeah. who don't do podcasting, you know, there, there will be a peak every time you release a new episode. But the key to success often is the long tail. You know, you, what you've done here is you've built 13 pieces of brilliant audio content that are fairly timeless, aren't they? And, and people can discover at any point. So that PR doesn't need to stop no. uh, while the series is coming out it can carry on you can keep coming back to it and referring people to it which is great so looking back on it then I, I know you know we've done we've done two two series with you guys and you're quite experienced podcast generators now so if, if anybody else is, is looking at doing this and, and is in your position as, as owning the digital content for a brand what have you learned what would you tell them what would you advise them from the start I'd say taking the time at the beginning to really pull out the key stories and the key people that you're going to want to speak to and the presenters and and really taking the time to, uh, like Catherine did, kind of going and speaking to people. And um, because often first time round asking somebody a question, you know, they're not going to give you maybe all the juicy bits. But then once you leave people time to just kind of relax and kind of just generally naturally talk about the, the topic that uh, they're experts in, you often get really interesting um, things that you wouldn't otherwise. So I think taking the time to get to know the people that you're going to be speaking to and the topics you're going to be speaking about and um, means that you can kind of provide a really in-depth kind of episode about that area. So I think that time's always a challenge to be able to get enough of it. And then kind of running those ideas by kind of a wider group um, at Q and beyond to kind of see 
what internally people are interested in, but also doing that audience research and what people are looking at at the moment, um, making sure that we are pulling out kind of the big questions that people are currently um, discussing so that we can kind of target that as well. Yeah, lots of planning. I think is really important, especially when you do have so many different stories to tell and lots of different people to speak to. Make sure that you have enough time up front to plan out, as Grace said, exactly what those stories are, who those people are. And even I think I I was surprised at how keen everybody was to get involved. Mm -hmm. So I think initially we sent out emails to maybe 20 to 30 people, Mm -hmm. expecting maybe half of them to respond with a, a yes. And I think about 98% of them came back. We maybe only had one person who felt that, it, and purely because they felt that it wasn't their area of expertise, otherwise they would have been keen to do it. So um, expect, yeah, lots of people to be keen to get involved. Um. <laughs> How labour intensive was it? Because I think there's some fear amongst certain people who approach us about podcasts that it's going to, you know, take over their lives and be a sort of mm-hmm. burden over a, over a course of six months. Mm. And, and it is, you know, it's hard work doing this. Mm. It, it's not straightforward, but how do you, combat that how do you avoid it being a, a burden to you over that time yeah I don't I don't, wouldn't say it was a burden no. I think it was enjoyable wasn't it yeah. yeah we had a good time um what was really helpful was knowing exactly working with Catherine when she was going to send us things to review who was responsible for so for example Grace and I and a couple of other people we initially got in touch with the contributors and then once we got them on board we kind of handed them over to Catherine so Mm. knowing who would take lead at different times was really helpful Mm. making sure that yeah you know when the scripts need to be reviewed when the audio needs to be reviewed Mm. so you can actually book that into your calendars and prepare as much as possible it's probably the the best way to to approach it yeah we loved a spreadsheet yeah a yeah. spreadsheet with timings and yeah. when people are on annual leave and everything like that would made everything so easy. And I think yeah, the more, most labour intensive side of things on our side was really just getting everybody into one space mm-hmm. for the recordings. Yeah. Um, but then, as Emma said, we could then hand over to Catherine who could then come and do the recordings and then it was us, over to us to kind of do the reviewing stage of things. So, no, it was really enjoyable. I think it's not easy producing a podcast, but it's a real pleasure to be part of. Brilliant. And Fiona, top tips for getting coverage, getting press, getting into that newsletter for a podcast. Oh, you're going to make me say it again. <laughs> <laughs> make a good make podcast. Make a good podcast. No, but I mean, I guess what does make a good podcast mean if we, if we break it down? It's like, it's interesting. There are people on there that are interested and actually, you know, are probably experts at what they do. The, the themes around the episodes are kind of about a current they're in line with like news trends or future trends um, or they're historic and they're looking back at interesting things that you m- might not um, have known. And they're really sort of targeted at a listener in terms of like, you know, and I, I, I you know, if you work in market, it's obviously if it's an ideal client, but it's an ideal listener. It's kind of, you've got an idea of like the, who this person is because then that's when you can really start to reach them through press. Um, I think this one had quite, it was quite, there was a lot like of ways in for it, which is actually showed in the PR in terms of like the different things that, that we got. So not everybody, I don't think can do it on that scale, but they've got that many people to talk about all these different things. So um, I think maybe just keep keeping it clear and then that's going to make it easier to yeah talk to journalists about it. Brilliant. Three of you, thank you very much indeed. There you go, Unearthed. Journeys into the Future of Food is an ambitious, fascinating, successful podcast series from 
Royal Botanic Gardens Q. It's available on all good podcast platforms. Uh, thank you to Emma Chandler, Senior Content and Engagement Manager at Q, to Grace Brewer, Digital Content Manager, also from Q, and Fiona Fraser, the podcast publicist or the podcast expert. expert co. Uk. <laughs> uh, from, director of Power PR. <laughs> uh, uh, for, uh, Power PR. Um, who, yeah, we're working increasingly with, with Fiona yeah. and um, it, it's a real sort of special source that I think we, we can add into, uh, into branded podcasts. So you'll find loads more episodes on this feed exploring how our clients have made all sorts of podcasts across a huge range of sectors. And if you'd like to find out more about how Fresh Air can make a great podcast for your brand, you can find us at freshairproduction.co.uk. I've been Neil Cowling. Goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. Fresh.